0: Jesus asked a lot of questions. Apparently, 307 questions. I did not count those. Somebody else counted those for me. Uh, But those are the questions that were noted in the Gospels by Jesus. They were always very purposeful questions. They were questions that got to people's hearts. They're questions that revealed what was going on in other people. It revealed something about God's heart, and it also oftentimes demanded a response from people. We learn a lot about who Jesus is, something about God's character. We learn a lot about ourselves as well through the questions that Jesus asks. And last week we started this series that we're going to be going into by saying that God asks us questions. You, you this morning may have come with your own questions for God, which is good. God is ready for your questions, but also we heard that God asks us questions as well. That that These questions can interrupt us. They interrupt the the cycle that we can be going in, interrupt us in a good way, a way that that builds relationship between us and God and that sets us in a new and positive direction. So today we are going to begin the first of 12 of those 307 questions. We're only going to do 12 of them and we're going to introduce ourselves to this master question asker, Jesus. And we're going to learn a lot about him. They're going to reveal things about him and and about what it means for us to be Christ followers today. Here is our scripture for this morning. It's from Matthew 5. At the end of chapter 5, verse 23 to 28, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. You have heard it said, love your neighbor And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what... What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you love, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord, we ask you to help us to understand your word today, and more than understand it, really, to do it. Help us to be people who follow your heart, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so the first of these questions that Jesus offers us, it kind of starts off with a bang. A lot of times when we when we look at us piece of scripture. There's some explanation. We need to help get into the culture there, or we have to understand some of the context of what's going on so that we can understand it, so that we can apply it. This particular passage, I feel like, is one of the ones where we understand what it says. We know what it's saying. The problem is, I don't necessarily want to do what it's telling me to do. I don't need to be explaining very much, but we need to, understand, we need to live it out in our world. It's, the, it's one of the hardest ones for us ever to do. Uh, one pastor said about this verse, he said, these verses are among the most famous that Jesus teaches. I, I think people who are not followers of Jesus know that Jesus said, love your enemies. But th- hardly ever do you hear somebody say that this is their favorite verse. Like, what's your favorite verse, right? Love your enemies. Yay. But I gotta tell you, this week, as I've thought about this more, I have appreciated in a new way how revolutionary this is. How amazing that we follow a Savior, follow a Lord who, who teaches something like this. It shows how unique Jesus is in the world. Jesus didn't just come to say nice things. He came to change the world. And he lived it as well. So, It is amazing to me that something that was said 2,000 years ago could still feel so super relevant to us today. And this week I came across a poem that does kind of help to show how amazing that is. Uh, So, this passage that we're looking at today is part of a larger teaching that Jesus did that was called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I, I mention that because it's mentioned in our poem. Here's our poem. Ready? Did Jesus use a modem at the Sermon on the Mount? Did he ever try a broadcast fax to send his message out? Did the disciples carry beepers as they went on their route? Did Jesus use a modem on the Sermon on the Mount? All right, so... It was amazing. I did not write that, so you, don't, you can feel okay about laughing about it. Okay, so I, that was written maybe 25, 30 years ago, right? Written by somebody from our own culture, somebody who lives in some kind of computer age, apparently, uh, but not in the one that we live in. It, it was probably something that felt super relevant at the time. Like, wow, yeah, that's deep. Yeah, did Jesus have a modem? Yeah, you can hear the dial-up sounds when, when you think that, right? And, but when we compare that, that's, it feels a little stale to us, even though it's only 25 or 30 years old. But Jesus' teaching, 2,000 years old, feels so relevant to us, enough that it's, it makes us shy away from it, that we don't even want to have it be our favorite verse. And that's how amazingly relevant Jesus' teaching is. It, It has held up so well. Despite all the dizzying changes in the world, sociologically, technologically, we are so different. But this is still strikingly pertinent to our world today. They're just as relevant today and still can make us feel uncomfortable I would say, if anything, in the political climate of the U.S. today, it's probably even more relevant than ever because we have got an enemy problem here. It is so relevant that I came across a book uh, on politics this week that that talked about loving one's enemies this is this revolutionary thing it's written by uh, Arthur Brooks he's a Harvard professor a PhD social scientist and he has a lot to say about how politicians have been treating each other as mortal enemies not surprising to us and he says this in 2014 researchers at Northwestern University Boston College and the University of Melbourne published an article about human conflict due to this is what they call it motive attribution asymmetry This is a phenomenon of uh, believing that your ideology is motivated by love and your opponent's ideology is motivated by hate. The researchers found that the majority of Republicans and Democrats today suffer from a level of motive attribution asymmetry that is comparable to that of Palestinians and Israelis. Okay? So in both cases, the sides think that they, they're driven by good motives. This is, uh, this is benevolent on my side, but those guys are completely evil. Okay? and So n- neither side wants to negotiate or compromise because of that. So basically what he's saying is that every issue in Washington right now is kind of like trying to bring peace in the Middle East. Okay? So that's where we're at. So in fact, probably we think it's almost easier have peace in the Middle East then political solidarity. So they end up getting trapped in a cycle, a cycle of treating the other as evil. You have heard the law in Washington, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And this guy Brooks, he points the finger at a specific kind of hate. He says, he says, it's not just anger, it's contempt. we have for each other we have contempt and he says contempt attempts to mock shame and permanently exclude from relationships by belittling humiliating and ignoring contempt is different from anger so your anger says I care a lot about this thing but contempt says you disgust me you are beneath me caring about and I want to say we live in an age that has that has been poisoned the waters have been poisoned by this spirit of contempt. And Jesus, his challenge to love our enemies is spoken into our world with relevance. So the big question is, how are we supposed to go from full contempt to full love? How are we supposed to do that, to actually love other people? you may be wondering, hey, is there a shortcut around this? Uh, I was talking with a couple of guys on Wednesday, and one of them said, he's like, you know what, hey, Kurt, what if, what if I don't consider somebody a friend, but they're not really an enemy? Can I get away with it then? And then another guy chimed in. He goes, no, because then they're just your neighbor, and you're supposed to love your neighbors yourself. And the first guy said, I'm trapped, right? We're trapped, so you can't get, get away with this. Uh, there's no way to get out. There's no escaping. Uh, and maybe you are thinking to yourself, "Hey, I don't, I don't really have any enemies. I don't have anybody." Uh, and and I'll say, I know that n- not everyone here is actively nursing a grudge. We un- we acknowledge that, uh, but there are times that our defenses go up, that something in us is like, is kind of like an enemy detection sensor in us, right? It's usually when somebody contradicts us, they're going in a different direction. We kind of whoop whoop whoop, the the alarm goes off, enemy detected, and and it could be for anything. It could be. Uh, kind of a rival person at work who has a different direction that they want to go in. Uh, it could be kind of that annoying neighbor that doesn't, uh, that I don't know, doesn't do things right. Um, and let's be real, sometimes it, it could be a lot people a lot closer to us. Our enemy detection sensor goes off with our kids, with our parents maybe, with our spouse with people who are really close to us, because we, I, we feel in ourselves that there's that moment when everything's kind of okay, but we get ready for war. And that's our enemy detector is going off. And so we, and I'll add, I'll add one more. Um, besides that, there, it's definitely people who are close to us, but there, there are times, there are people that we consider to be our enemies, but there are also, let's not forget, there's a category of people who consider you an enemy without you necessarily thinking They are. That could be for a lot of different reasons, uh, but they are still, it's still a pertinent question. Those people are our enemy, however it might be. How can we love them? Well, Jesus in this passage, he's going to give us, he's going to give us a path forward. He's going to give us a motivation. He's going to give us a, uh, some steps to take, and he's going to give us a goal. So, Jesus says, if we act in a loving way toward our enemies, we pray for those who persecute us, we're acting like our heavenly father. He says, verse 45, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and just unjust alike. So he's saying, hey, you, you're our children of God. Let's act like it. Because God, he gives good things to everybody. He even gives it to people who are unlovable. And, and that's the way that God acts, and we're supposed to act a bit like that as well. So as Christians, we know that, that God's kindness has been poured out on everybody. And, and for us as believers, for we also know that it hasn't just been sent out in a broad sense, but it's also particularly been given to us as well. Romans 5 talks about how we lived as God's enemies that we fought against God, we resisted him, and that he broke into our lives and changed us. He changed me, he changed you. And God did what was necessary to reconcile enemies to himself. This is what it says in Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, your your personal experience with God has been that God sought you while you were still resisting Him or weren't ready for Him or were ignoring Him in some way. You, You were God's loved enemy. God loved you and sought you, God treated you better than you deserved. And, and isn't that the thing that kind of bothers us about loving our enemies? We're worried that they're they're getting treated better than they deserve. But for uh, for us as believers, we we know that we have had some of that experience of what it's like to be loved more than we really deserve. So it gives us something to uh, uh, this it gives us access to something more that we can use to help love our enemies. That we realize that we've been on the receiving end of that. So as Christians, you know, we have we have Basically, as followers of Jesus, you and I, we have forfeited the right to nurse a grudge. We have forfeited the right to have enemies because God didn't let us stay as enemies because this new life in Christ, it changes everything. And you know what? Jesus Jesus didn't just talk that talk. He walked that walk. Remember, this is the one who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus, he's going to give us a couple of steps in here. He says, verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. I love that. If you are kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And here we've arrived at the questions. These are the questions that Jesus is asking. What? How are, you, how are you doing more than anyone else if you do this? So Jesus acknowledges, hey, the world works one way. And we're supposed to work in a different way. This question, it kind of catches me in its net. If you are kind only to your friends, how are, you, how are you doing more than anyone else? Even pagans do that. Corrupt tax collectors do that much. And I'm, I'm supposed to be, I have, I'm somebody who knows a loving God. And, and Jesus' question, it cuts to our hearts. There, he's, like, he's like, there's a standard that people keep. There's a standard that people you don't even respect keep. Even Astros fans do this. Okay? Shouldn't you be doing much more? <laughs> What, was it somebody not like that? Was, like, was there somebody offended? I'm sorry. If you're an Astros fan, you can pick a different thing. Sorry. Sorry to my friend Marco, who's a big Astros fan. Repent and believe in the Gospels. Okay. Um, so we, you know, we as believers, we, we, we can draw from a well of resources that other people can't. Because we have been loved by God. And we have experienced that. So, of course, we're going to be expected to act differently than other people because we have access to that. We have, we have the possibility, the expectation of living differently. And so our job is to love people, to be kind to them. That was what we read in the New Living Translation. It says to be kind. Uh, if you are holding any other translation, basically, NIV, ESV, uh, all those other ones, they say to greet someone else uh, which is literally what it says in Greek there. It says that we should greet other people. If you greet only your own people, what more are you doing than others? That, somehow that hits me a bit harder because I have to admit that there are times when I'm not necessarily willing to greet people outside my tribe or people who I find annoying. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to pick on politicians because they're so blatantly open about having enemies, but I would like for us just to imagine for a minute What if everybody in Congress actually greeted each other? Can you imagine? I just want us to picture for a minute, like Marjorie Taylor Greene walks up to AOC. She's like, good morning, Representative. And then uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez says back to her, good morning, Representative. Like, I can't even imagine it, right? Just for them to treat each other with kind of a basic level of respect. And I don't know if they are Jesus followers, So I don't know if I need to hold them to that standard. But we are. We are Jesus followers. And the other people in Congress who are Jesus followers, we should expect that of them. So that means there is a basic kindness that we are supposed to offer to other people because we are followers of Jesus. There's a a floor to how low we will ever treat somebody. We don't go below that floor because Jesus loved me not because I'm so great, because God is so great. I, I will say there's a, there's a sense, though, that the New Living Translation, by saying be kind to others, is really right. I think that greeting people is kind of the first basic kindness. It's kind of a, a primary kindness. I, I appreciate that. So, uh, but being civil is kind of too low of a, of a base standard for us. So we're supposed to offer our enemies some degree of hospitality, I think. That's what it means to greet people. We offer them hospitality. This is what Henry Nouwen, who is a Catholic priest, he he writes this. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not to be disturbed by dividing lines. And Jesus was the one who offered us the greatest picture of hospitality, what it looks like. He, he gave us a place where we were able to find welcome, where we were able to find forgiveness, where we were able to, to connect to God in a way that overflows in our life. So we've given a, a few examples, I think, where our enemy detector goes off. There's a few more. Where are some other places where it might go off? So straight off the bat, we always can think of anybody online online Definitely enemy detector goes off there. It doesn't you don't have to be even doing anything important People will be upset about the brand of luggage that you have, but we're not supposed to respond in kind We're not supposed to act as enemies back to people But what about what about here at church? In our church community could anyone be considered, you know, we we say we acknowledge that these people are our tribe we're fellow followers of Jesus, but, but there's stuff that happens in other places that have aftershocks in our life as a church here as well. We're, we are a church of people who do not agree on political issues, I will tell you that. Uh, we have Republican voters, Democratic voters, undecideds, back and forthers, a few people who vote for whoever they think is gonna win, and uh, some people who vote for that, that one person always gets like 1%. I, I think that we've got a few of those people here, maybe, uh, so we need to practice welcoming sometimes those people who are considered the enemy here as well. People could be close to us and be our enemy. I think it could be even closer than that. Uh, you know, it's, it can be kind of a joke for some people, but it, it can be real that maybe the person that we consider our greatest enemy in the world is ourself. And, I, and I, when I was thinking about that, I, I wondered, what would Jesus tell us to do? That we should love Our enemy. If you're if your enemy is yourself, I want you to I want you to love your enemy. Pray for that person who persecutes you. Maybe that's where you need to start. All right, so when we when we think about our enemies, uh, for a lot of us it can be very impersonal. We're thinking about somebody we don't know but for others of us in the room I will say it is very personal we we know who our enemy is our enemy has a face and what does it mean for us to love that person maybe we can go even farther I will say your enemy might not just be someone who's bothersome it might be somebody who is dangerous what does it mean for us to do good uh, to somebody like that. And some of doing good to them might mean that we need to protect them from themselves or to protect them from doing harm to other people. For some people, doing good and loving them might mean they still need to go to jail. That's true. But we treat them with the dignity and respect that is afforded to all people who are made in God's image. So we treat them in a way that that says that we hope that they too will turn and experience the forgiveness of God, and I, I heard a story recently that captured this idea uh, in a way that I had never heard it before. Uh, this comes from a, a book by a pastor named Andy Stanley. Uh, his book is called Not in It to Win It, which I was what I I wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, I think I've mentioned it once before. Every Political stripe gets it in this book, so uh, it's not, it doesn't, he doesn't take any sides. Everybody gets it a little bit. But I want to read some of what he wrote about this. It's specifically about loving our enemies. Uh, American gymnast Rachel Denhollander was the first woman to publicly accuse USA Gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser of sexual assault. In 2016, she alleged that he repeatedly engaged in horrific and humiliating behavior when she was his patient. Her actions paved the way for over 265 women to come forward with their own accounts of abuse. These included Olympic gold medalists Michaela Moroni, Ali Reisman, and Simone Biles. Their courage and tenacity brought long overdue attention to a pattern of sexual abuse associated with USA Gymnastics. The organization's self-protecting culture had allowed an evil man to harm hundreds of young women and girls over the course of many years, but no more. In 2018, a Michigan court found Nassar guilty on charges of child pornography and sexual assault. While Den Hollander was the first to accuse Nasser, she was the last of over 150 victims to confront Nasser in the courtroom during the sentencing phase of his trial. Uh, when her turn finally came, she addressed her initial remarks to the men and women in the courtroom. How much is a little girl worth? she asked. Den Hollander's question hung in the air. Referring to the other women who came forward with their own horrific story, she continued, I submit to you that these children are worth everything. Then Den Hollander addressed Nasser directly. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By this grace, I choose, choose to love this way. She continued, should you ever reach the point where you are of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. And you can imagine the silence in the courtroom following that. And... I can't even hold it in now. The first time I heard that, I cried so hard. <laughs> I think if she came in and wanted to just yell at him and give him everything that she had, all everything that was behind the emotion of that, I think we would have said that she was in her rights. I'm sure there were days when she was ready to do that. But what she chose that day was to express the love for her enemy because of what Jesus had done. And she isn't offering him something that she hasn't experienced, but she's ex- she's also giving him the path to true life with Jesus. And if we feel that that's amazing, it's because what we're seeing is the light of Christ in somebody else. That's... I hope that we never have to forgive anything that big. But that's how that is to rely on God and the hope that he is offering. True hope. Because Jesus says you're supposed to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. It doesn't mean that you need to try to do everything exactly right. We're given an opportunity And we are given God's power. It's not an impossible standard that we can never live up to. We are given God's power that says you can live into the perfection of God. That God is going to be the one who is empowering you. God is the one who is giving us this promise that we are not complete until he is going to bring everything to completion. That, That perfection means this complete life. That we will one day be perfect This isn't the end of the story that we know that there is a just judge, that we don't have to get revenge because there is a God who will make everything right and we can count on him. So we can be perfect as he is perfect and live into that. And we can live in the messiness of our world and even love our enemies because of what Jesus has done. That is the amazing truth that we have. So here's my question for us. How can we allow this verse that nobody wants to have be their memory verse to maybe be our favorite thing? How can we let this terrible truth sink into us in such a way that we would be able to speak those kinds of words to our enemy? And let's, let's leave it with Jesus' question. If you are kind only to your friends... How are you different from anyone else? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of other believers who have been more amazingly strong than I think I could even pull off. Thank you for Jesus who makes that even possible. That we live now as people who have been loved more than we deserve with a God who will bring justice and we can count on you. So I pray, Lord, for the the strength of your spirit in us to love our neighbors. And I pray for the communion of saints, the the community that's here, that we will encourage one another to love our enemies well. Maybe even help them go to jail like she did. So, God, we, we pray for the days ahead, for the other questions that you ask as well. May you guide us and help us to see God in a new way and to understand our own hearts in a new way as well. We pray because of Christ. Amen.